Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Shall we do that? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are here with us. I think that's one of the most amazing things you have ever said, is that I am with you. And you said it in so many ways. And it's the hardest thing to get through our minds and our hearts that you are with us. And we remember that the heavens of the heavens cannot contain you. And yet, you've made our hearts so that you can dwell within us. That's amazing. We, we realize that you're here in the room with us. We're so thankful. And we want to pray that you would bless your word to us today, that you would speak to us. Because we remember that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. So we pray that you would teach us today by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us and give us what we need today. Bless our time of worship, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John asked me to continue with the regular Bible teaching. And so we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, 11, and 12 today. That's a lot of scripture to go through. So I want you to stick with me. And what we get here in these chapters is a man who was given kingship of the nation at its peak of achievement and wealth. It was a mighty country, rich in every way. And this fellow, Rehoboam, he ruled for 17 years. But of those 17 years, the writer has only given us five years. The writer only picks the information and details that he wants us to know that contribute to making his point. And the point of this is there in your sermon handout, the big issues in life are decided by what happens in our lives in private. Big things come from small things. This fellow here caused a big split in his country. He blew it up without even trying. And then he came within a hair's breadth of completely destroying the country. And the cause of these catastrophes was just one single issue. And it says in chapter 12 that he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. 
Now, you might hear that and go, really? That's it? That's not a big deal. You mean he didn't have a quiet time? And he, then he blew up the nation and almost caused a complete destruction? That's what caused it? And you might say, well, that's not really important. That's neither here nor there. It's insignificant. But see, this is the deal. Rehoboam thought the same way. He says, who needs a quiet time? Who needs God? And see, here's, here's the question I want to put to you this morning, okay? Can you learn from a dope? I'm not talking about dopes that aren't in the Bible. I'm talking about dopes that are in the Bible. And the point to this is that if we don't learn from this dope, we're primed and ready to go out and commit the same catastrophes that he did. Have you ever learned from somebody else's mistakes? Well, we need to do that this morning. Are you interested? Good. So here's chapter 10. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Then they sent for him and called him. Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Come back to me after three days. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he, was still, while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you're kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. For the turn of events was from God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, 
which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So all Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadaram, who was in charge of revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. Big chunk of scripture there. And of course you see the point. This is the beginning of Rehoboam's rule and his father was Solomon. And if you've read these chronicles, this history that you get both in Chronicles and First and Second Kings. You remember maybe how Solomon began his reign. Here's his father David going on and on. My son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And I think that's what Solomon was hearing. Young and inexperienced. So Solomon did something that was amazing. He sacrificed something like 22,000 bulls. And what he was doing was asking God for help. And God showed up and said, ask. What shall I give you? Blank check. And Solomon said, give me a listening heart. So that I may judge this great people of yours. And the Lord was pleased and said, because you've not asked for wealth or the life of your enemies, I'll give you the wisdom and I'll give you great wealth. I'll give you everything. Now this is very different, isn't it? At the very beginning of Rehoboam's reign, the people come and say, can we have a break, please? Can we have a sabbatical? You know, if you keep plowing that ox and don't give him a sabbatical, the ox dies. <laughs> I don't suppose you could have a barbecue after that, but that's not cool. Don't barbecue the ox. Give him a sabbatical. 
But you know, Solomon built all sorts of stuff. He built his palace, his wife's palace, the house of the first of Lebanon, parks, uh, stalls, cities. And people were going, can we have a break? Are we done now? And if he had just sympathized with the people, Rehoboam could have ruled forever. But you know, he was asking the guys who stood before his father and served him. He was asking the young men. But he didn't ask God. So he's, he's thinking, okay, I can make a decision. I'm king now. He asked the old fuddy-duddies. And they gave him the boring, predictable answer, just be nice. Then he asked the guys that he grew up with. These guys have never worked a day in their lives. They only understand entitlement. And they get it. We're at the top, they're at the bottom. We're the privileged, they're the minions. That's the way life works. So I imagine they're sitting around in their long hair and their heavy metal t-shirts. <laughs> and they're all fist bumping each other. Hey man, now we're king, now we're ruling. Let's be tough, let's be cool. So he gets up there. And all the guys in the back going. <laughs> and he answers them roughly. And it says the people saw that he wasn't listening to them. So they didn't listen to him. So what it's telling us here in this first chapter is that Rehoboam just going for his own thing, thinking naturally, alienated his whole country. That's what happens when you do your own thing. You alienate everybody around you. Does everybody get that? Well, this is just you and me on a national scale. Doing our own thing just in here. We're going to alienate our families, alienate our coworkers, alienate everybody. That's all you have to do is just think naturally. Because you're just thinking about me. Me, 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 me. That's all you got to do to alienate everybody around you. Does everybody have that? Have we learned this from this world-class dope here? Moving on. Uh, I'm leaving out a lot of details because we don't have a lot of time. You can pick that stuff up later. I'm sure there's buckets of instructive admonishment here, but we're moving on. Okay, everybody with me? Um, it says here in verse 5 of chapter 11, that Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah, and he built Bethlehem, Etem, Tekoa, Beth Zur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marisha, Ziph, Adoram, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalon, and Hebron. Say that three times fast. Which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them, stores of food, oil, and wine. Also in every city he put shields and spears 
and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons, and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Then Rehoboam took for himself his wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and of Abihail, the daughter of Eliah, the son of Jesse, and she bore him children, whose names are written right there in verse 19. And then after her, he took Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him all those kids. Rehoboam loved Maacah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives and his concubines, for he took 18 wives and 60 concubines and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. All the mothers are going. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Maacah, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. He dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city. And he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. Now what he's doing here is taking care of business. And the first thing he does here is set up 15 cities for defense, all in his territory. And, you know, that's a good thing. Make sure you can't be attacked. Provide for the common good. So that makes total sense. And he, at the same time, is also strengthened by all these people in the northern kingdom now who don't want to follow Jeroboam, don't want to worship his alternate religion. What's happening here is Jeroboam figured, hey, if I let people go south to worship in Jerusalem, their hearts are going to be drawn back to the house of David. They're going to come back and kill me. So he decided, you don't have to go south. I'm going to set up our religion right here. And he set up a couple of places where you could go. And he didn't appoint Levites and priests to be, you know, the, the religious workers and all, because again, that's connected with the South. So he sets up his own system, and the priests and the Levites are out. And they said, you know what? We're going to go South. We're going to worship in Jerusalem, where we're supposed to be. And they left Jeroboam. And a whole bunch of people realized that's where the action is. Let's seek God. So they leave everything in the northern kingdom and come south. And you know, when you got a lot of God-fearing people coming into your country, well, you get strong. That's a good thing. Yeah, good work ethic. Honest. Upright. Nice folk. You want them, don't you? Right? Everybody wants to live next to a nice person. Well, we got all these nice people. 
coming into the country. And then Rehoboam gets married. And he gets married and married and married. That's kind of a kingy thing that you do. All the kings of the nations did it. Even his dad did it to an incredible degree. And you know, there's this thing about fathers. They do have an effect on their kids. Kids pick up stuff even when you're not saying, son, watch me, this is what you do or don't do. So dads, what you do makes a, a real impression on your kids. Regardless of what you say, because you know, you read the Proverbs and it says, my son, listen to my voice. Heed my words. But your actions speak louder than your words. And your kids are going to pick up how dad is supposed to act. And that's what Rehoboam did. And you know, it's a smart thing to disperse all the sons in, your, in you know, the land and give them something to do so they don't think about stuff like rebellion and revolt and why aren't I king? I'm going to push dad off the throne. So he was smart. That's chapter 11. Moving on. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with them. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. With 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number, who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim and the Sukim and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. So this is what Rehoboam was thinking. We got our 15 defense cities. We're solid, we're tight. We got resources, supplies, spears, swords, soldiers, we got this. And we got valuable people coming into the country. They're good minions. They just take care of business. Let them do their good thing. And got the family sorted. We're cool. So I figure one morning he wakes up. And he goes, oh, man, Shabbat. Do I have to go? Why can't I have my Shabbat back? Why do I have to go to church? Go to sacrifices, you know, the same thing over and over again, yada, yada, yada. Everything's cool. So why don't I just lie in? Can I do that? Am I king? Can I do that? I'm lying in. Tell everybody I'm lying in today. So you know what? The whole palace gets, gets the message. It's okay. He's laying out. Well, you know what? I don't have to go either. It's cool. Nobody's going to get yelled at. 
and it trickles down. Everybody gets the message. Hey, man, the law of the Lord, okay, it's got stuff you have to do, and it's got more stuff that you don't get to do. And it's kind of, it can hamper your lifestyle, can't it? And you have to toe the line and do this and don't do that. And, well, why don't we just go after the stuff we want anyway? We got it, right? So everybody says, you know, it's just too much. It's a hindrance. It's a hampering. Please, can I just be free to be me? Because I want to be me. Because the king gets to be him. So I want to be me. I just want to be free. Can we do that? Well, the people were unfaithful. They had transgressed against the Lord. Does that sound bad? Did they, did they chew gum and then park it under their seat? Shouldn't do that. This is what it says in 1 Kings. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, if you think about this, in his third year, Rehoboam starts saying, ah, who needs this? Why are we doing this? We don't need this. And in year five, Shishak shows up. So it didn't take long for the whole nation is acting like a bunch of pagans. And I choose that word carefully. They're acting just like the people that God said in the beginning to Joshua, if you don't completely wipe these guys out, they will completely wipe you guys out. You will act like them. Their ways will be a snare to you. And just like the land vomited them out, I will vomit you out. And you will be destroyed. See, the thing about the law of the Lord is, is that it's part of the covenant relationship that God has with the nation Israel. Back when God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Do you want that? And they all said, we will do everything that the Lord says. And he said, okay. They have a relationship by covenant. It's just like the relationship you have when you get married. You make promises and you lay it out. This is what our relationship is going to be like 
and in front of God and people, you seal it with an oath that we will be faithful to our promises until we die. So when Rehoboam just says, throws out the promises, he doesn't throw out the promises. You can't get rid of it like that. He's in a covenant relationship with God. And when you stay in the covenant, guess what? The blessings happen. But if you break the covenant, then the curses come into effect. And it seems to me they begin almost immediately. How long does it take to get 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number organized so you can start on a raid? I would think it could take up to two years. Get that going. So I'm just reading between the lines here, but as soon as Rehoboam says, who needs God? God says, hey, Shishak, let's get going here. I need you to do a job for me. So, you know, when Shishak comes up, look what it says in verse 4. He took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Now, in one sentence, Shishak takes out 15 cities, provisioned, Armed, manned, the whole bit. Bing, 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 bing. What do you think Rehoboam's thinking now? They're all huddled up in Jerusalem, scared to death. Because all around the city is parked a group of people that cannot be numbered. There's no place to go. As far as Rehoboam knows, he is a dead man. It's not going to be pretty. And they're scared to death. Wouldn't you be? I know I would be. So, It says in verse 5 that Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. Now, Rehoboam has alienated God. And you know, you can't stick your thumb in God's eye and then walk away. You can't break the covenant without calling down the curses upon you. And just as God has the power to bless and make everything go well, he also has the power to make everything go bad. And this is about as bad as it could get. There's this, this close to being completely destroyed. And it could happen in a second. And here comes the man of God to say this. Do you know what this, all this is? All these people out here? 
waiting to destroy you? It is the hand of God. God is the one who brought up all this from Egypt just to let you know this is not good. All of your idolatry, all of your sexuality out of control, perverted people refers to male and female ritual prostitution for worshiping of idols. So you can get women prostitutes, but you can get male prostitutes. Everything is cut loose. And even all those nice people who came down from the north are in it as well. A whole corrupt nation. So Shimea says, this is God. And in verse 6, it says, So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. Now, what that means is, God can do anything he wants, and we deserve it. That's what it means. God could let the hammer fall and let us get killed, plundered, looted and we would just have to say you're right it means we don't deserve 5p from God that's what it means they're not even praying oh God save us because they haven't got a leg to stand on why should God listen to them and this is the hard part, isn't it? You know, you sin against God, and then you don't even have the guts to come back and say, can you help me? Because it's so bad, isn't it? How do you bite his hand, go mess your life up, and then come back and say, can I unbite your hand, please? So there they are, and they humble themselves. And it says, even the king... Even the king got it. I was talking with some people about this, and they said, well, it's his only chance, duh. But, you know, that's not his only chance. The other thing he could do is say, hey, man, we're still bad. We'll go down in a flaming conflagration, you know. They could still put on their heavy metal T-shirts one more time. It's not much of a choice, but it is a choice. Or they could surrender completely to God and say, God, we don't deserve anything from you at all. And just leave it at that. Now, the amazing thing is verse 7. Now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimea saying, they have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem 
and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. Can you imagine humbling yourself before God, saying, you know what, God? If you were to kill me and destroy this place right down and not leave one brick left on another, you would be right. And God says, okay, I won't destroy you. And in the text it says, I'll give you a little bit of deliverance. Just a little bit. And Shishak comes up and says, tell you what, I'll just take everything and leave you alive. It's enough, boys. Just grab the gold. And there was so much there. All the stuff that had been dedicated by Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, all the princes and nobles of Judah, all that gold plus the 500 gold shields that Solomon made. Gone. Everything gone. And you think, well, where's the deliverance? Well, they're all still alive. And the buildings are standing. And that kind of bugged Rehoboam. Did you notice that? Because he grew up with this house of the forest of Lebanon, always having the gold shield, just like when his dad was king, you know, and glittery and sparkly, and it was kind of fun, and just didn't look right. Looked like a gymnasium. Walk in, and man, it bugs me that the gold shields are gone. I want to look like it did when dad made this place, you know. So he puts up the bronze ones, and they're kind of sparkly. How would you like to be one of the guards? Every time the king comes in, we got to pull out 500 shields, stick them up, and then when he's gone, we got to pull them down and stick them away. I don't think I'd like that job. That's like, move this pile of dirt over here, and when you get done, move it back. <laughs> they don't pay me enough for this job. But just think about this. God says, because he humbled himself, I'll keep him alive. You know, at this point, Rehoboam knows that there is a God in heaven. And it's the most important thing in the world to have a relationship with him. That's where everything good comes out of. Does everybody get that? Some people don't even get that. They just don't get it. And so they keep living their life for themselves, thinking it's all about me, and i got to make things go the way I want them to. And then they end up alienating everybody, 
and alienating God. And you don't want God as an enemy because there are worse things than just being killed. Getting killed is temporary. But being completely forgotten by God in hell forever is something that nobody is ever going to come back from. Once you go into hell, there is no getting out. And it's everlasting shame and contempt and living without anything good, ever. Because all those things come as a result of knowing God and living with him. That's where life comes from. That's where the goodness comes from. That's where everything that's good comes from. Everybody with me? So, look at this, verse 14 in chapter 12. This is the key to the whole life of Rehoboam as the writer of Chronicles sees it. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. So, I want to underscore this. The most important thing that you can ever get in this life is that covenant relationship with God. Which means you need to be born again. You need to receive Jesus. It is only through Jesus you can have that covenant relationship. And without Jesus, you have no covenant. You are under the wrath of God. You are a dead person. So that's the first step, is get that relationship with God. You can do that today, right now. And then, when you have that relationship, you prepare your heart to seek the Lord. You know that no relationship on earth runs automatically? Everybody who's married knows this. Hey, babe, I told you 20 years ago I love you. Were you listening? Stand still, Bob. I'm going to show you what life on the moon is like right now. Unless you are prepared to invest in your relationship, you will find out quickly you have no relationship. It demands your involvement. Rehoboam is thinking, hey man, everything runs by itself. Sun comes up, breathing air, eating food, wearing clothes, everything just runs by itself. And what God showed him by the two by four from heaven, <laughs> no it doesn't. It comes from me. So you seek me and you get all this other stuff. And Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew 6. He says, you know, your heavenly father knows that you need clothing and food and stuff. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. It's spare change. 
The real thing is having God, knowing Him. So ask yourself today, how much do I know God? And if you think about it for a minute, it's a scary thought. I know a lot about God, but how much do I know Him personally? And it's not a thing you can fake. Because in front of God, there's no such thing as spin. You're bare naked before God. And he knows everything you're thinking. So here's the thing about God. It's you and him. It's not you and a bunch of people and you can sort of shuffle and get lost in the crowd and average and schlump your way to heaven. It's you and him. The most intimate relationship you will ever have and it demands your involvement. So you know what that means? A commitment. Because no relationship happens by accident. When you start doing that, you're going to find it's going to be a battle. Relationships are difficult, don't you think? They're difficult mainly because I'm difficult. Between God and me, which one of us is perfect? Between God and me, which one of us have to change so that we can preserve our relationship? Do you know that by necessity, having a relationship with God is going to make you humble? It's not a mistake. It's not something's going bad. I'm continually living in humility. Um, can we fix this so I can go back to being Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which I have built for myself in the glory of my royal majesty? Can we get back to that, please? Funny enough, if you seek God, you will be increasingly humble because that is the essential character of God. That's who God really is. He's so humble that he is God. He is at the very top. There's nobody above him. And he could come down and be born as a baby. He can walk away from being God. All the perks. All the fun. And instead, be absolutely humble for 30 years until they crucify him. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It wasn't isolated pockets of humility. Hope that doesn't happen very much. He was absolutely low and meek and humble the whole time. So if we're born again, and if we're seeking God and actively pursuing a relationship with him, we will be humbled and we will find ourselves humbling ourselves before him. Like a proud Christian is an oxymoron. Two things that don't go together. 
And you look at some Christians who are like super proud and arrogant, and you just have to cringe. Because you think, what's going to happen when they stand before God? And God says, what in the world was that? What are you going to say to them? She did that, and I had to do this, and it was... How do you do this? How do you seek the Lord? Well, first have that relationship. Second, immerse yourself in the word of God. That's why this church teaches the Bible all the time and there's Bible studies and stuff. You know, we're not weirdos. Being humble is a way of thinking and as you get into the Bible and immerse yourself in the Bible, it will change the way you think. On the most profound and deep level of your life. And unless it changes that deep, profound thinking, you will never change. It's impossible. But if you put this into you, you will change. It will scare everybody around you especially those who know you best. You will terrify them because you will be acting humbly and they will be scared to death and say, what happened to you? You're not him. Bring the other one back. But honest to goodness, this is what the Bible says, that if you immerse yourself in the word of God, it will transform your life. And especially in this area of humility, you will begin to think less and less of yourself and you will begin to think more about people and more about God. In other words, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you will love your neighbors yourself. And instead of alienating God and everybody around you, you will actually love God and love everyone around you. Is everybody with me so far? This is the fantastic sort of life that God has prepared for us because it is amazing. One, it's amazing to know the love of God. Do you know that love of God? Paul says it's possible to be filled with the fullness of God, to know the love of Christ which passes understanding, that you might be filled up with all the fullness of God. Have you ever had that as an experience? This is where it gets into the area, how much do I know God? Maybe this much, not drawn according to correct scale. There's so much more to know that love of God. And when you know the love of God, then you can love others. And see, you get it. You realize that this is all that life is about. If I love God and love everybody around me, I win. My life is realizing the reason why God made me. 
And I am a success. This is the definition of greatness. Not how many heads did you break? How many corporations did you build? Or how many lives you've ruined? Or how many countries you rule or whatever? The real definition of greatness is how many people did you love? That takes power. That takes greatness. That's what we aspire to. <laughs> Believe it or not, this is why we're here. How many people can you love? How much can you love God? Well, nobody has it within them. Let me just tell you. And the best part about me is somebody else. But if you get the word of God into you and immerse yourself in it, you will find your, your life being transformed. Then you pray because you need God. And this is, again, it's all about humility. When you pray, you're saying, God, I have nothing. I am nothing. You are everything. I need you. And if you ask, you receive. So this is the measure of how humble you are. Do you pray a little bit? Then you're not very humble. Do you pray a lot? You are humble. Because you're expressing your absolute dependence and need on God. Okay? Now, when I think about myself in those terms, I am completely arrogant. I'm a dope. I don't have a problem with that. And I'm asking God, would you please help me? And that's the way to come to God. Hey, I'm no good at this. Will you help me? You know, being a pastor um, has been the most challenging thing I've ever done because I've finally realized I don't bring a whole lot to the table. And how do you keep going? And I remember what, what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. He didn't say, hey, Peter, are you any good at this? So I realized, you know what? If I get the love of God, I can do anything he wants me to do. That's my big goal in life, is getting the love of God. That's the most important thing you have in your life, is getting the love of God. Because if you get that, man, you can do anything you need to do for him because you've got what you need right here. That loving kindness is better than life. If you get that, you can do it all. So, how am I doing? Are we, am I busted yet? I'm busted. Can we pray? Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. And that you do love us with everlasting love. And we understand that we need that relationship with you. And we need to be in it. Would you please continue to show us how to live with you? Day in and day out. 
how we should give time to being with you, how to be in your word, to let it dwell richly within us. We already know we're not sufficient for these things, but you are. So please work in us and help us to know you, especially your love. Each one of us, Lord, we want to know your love. So draw all of us now to yourself. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.